Howdy. All right, we got good news and bad news. What do you want first? Good news. Okay, you're here. You guys chose the right service to come to. Did anyone see those signs coming in? Anyone? So, so you're here. You're, you're going to get this. You're able to get in. But the bad news is I don't think we're getting out. So um, City called me and they said we're not going to get out till 1. And that's from 10 to 1. And we don't like getting out early. So I figured I got two and a half, three hours here. So get comfortable. Drink that extra sip of coffee. Um, welcome. This is Northwest Hills. We're going strong today. So uh, glad you decided to come to first service. It's, it's a good one. If you have a Bible, we're back into Second Peter today. Um, and if you're here for the second time and last week, Easter was your first time, and you, and you felt something last week that said, man, I should probably come back next week, um, I'm just saying that's probably the Lord saying, I've made you for this. I have a plan and purpose for your life. Um, come know more about me. So welcome. Welcome here. We're glad that you're here. Get plugged in. There's a lot going on. Fill out a connection card. Talk to someone in the lobby. Talk to me afterwards. Um, there's, it's a great family. Um, a dysfunctional family nonetheless, but one that together is pursuing Christ. So come join. Welcome our family. We're, we're really glad you're here. So about two weeks ago, a little bit more than two weeks ago, my wife and I celebrated our one-year Corvallis anniversary. We've been here one year, and, and throughout the year here, yeah, right, we can celebrate that. And in case you didn't know, we have a baby, and I, I couldn't preach without talking about her, so there it is, and we'll, we'll get going. But uh, yeah, Charlotte's awesome. Um, so w- throughout the year here, I, you, you've probably noticed kind of kind of how I do things up here. You've probably noticed some of my rhythms, how I how I preach, how I teach, and and in seminary it's a term called expository preaching. And and what that really means is I like to pick a a, a book, a letter, and and really just piece by piece kind of work through it. So whether that's a couple of verses, whether that's a paragraph. But we've started with books. We've done Jonah and Zephaniah and Ecclesiastes and First Peter, and now we're in Second Peter. And, and what that does is, is it forces the issue, right? You go through a book, and, and I don't really get to choose what I'm preaching when you're going through it. You know, you're going through it, and, and what's there is there. It's God's Word, and you just trust the Lord that, Lord, this message, it's from you. It's your Word. Uh, I'm just going to do it. It kind of takes the choice out of, out of my mind, but, but every once in a while, you get to a text like today. And, and today is one of these texts that if I had a free shot, I, I would choose today's text. Like if, if, if someone said, okay, you're, you're going to preach in front of a, a big crowd, you get one week, do whatever you want, I might choose a text like this. And we're going to read it, and some of you might have question marks. So why would you ever want to choose a text like this? But, but don't worry, I will explain myself. I'm not as crazy as it might initially sound. There's, there's a lot that's going on here. So I say all of that to say that I, I really believe that this text is very important for us. It's important for us as a body. It's extremely, extremely important for us as individuals. And I say that because we all have tendency to drift here. We all have something within us that says, I, I don't really want to follow this. I want to do it my own way. And I'm here this morning to say it's so much better to follow the real gospel. The real gospel is so much better. But we have everything in culture that says, no, 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 let's, let's follow a false gospel. Let's follow a counterfeit gospel. Let's make up the gospel however we want it to be. And I'm saying, no, 
No, Jesus is better. The real gospel is better. So what we're looking at today is really kind of the overarching, well, what are these false gospels that we follow? We've been talking about false gospels. We've been talking about false preaching. There's a lot of false teaching and false gospels that come up in the church, specifically within us as people, specifically within our own hearts that we want to wander and press towards. But we're going to learn how to, um, A, recognize that, and, and B, hopefully counter it and run away from what we call false teaching. So we've got to pray. We've got a lot to do today, and we need the Lord's help. God, as always, um, we come to you. We ask that um, your word would be proclaimed. We ask that I would be clear, that I wouldn't be in this for any of my gain, but that it would be all your gain. Lord, I, I know that we all... Um, we all are prone to wander. Lord, we're all prone to, to grab or gravitate towards certain nuances of the gospel, and, and we like to herald those more than others, but, but the gospel is, is complete in and of itself. Lord, I pray that, that we hold on to the true message that you've given us through Christ. Lord, there's a lot of people, myself included, who often wander. Lord, some of us in this room today are, are, are far away from the true gospel. We've, we've heralded, we've preached a false gospel, and today I pray that through my words that we'd realize, wow, I've, I've been off and I need to come back. So Lord, we see today as, as we're on a lifeboat, you're throwing us the ring and you're saying, come back, I'm pulling you in, come back. It's much better. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I said, we've been through um, First Peter in the fall. Um, we went, we're in the middle of Second Peter right now, but we started with first kind of this, this really endearing, encouraging letter, right? This letter that says, I know that we've gone through a big shift here culturally, socially. Um, this is something very different for most of you. You weren't following Jesus. Now you are, and life looks very, very different, and, and people are making fun of you, and it's hard, but, but hang in there. I love you. I, I know that it's, it's a bit frustrating right now, but, but it's okay. It, it's going to be all right. And then the first week that we were in Second Peter, I said that very, very quickly we're going to kind of see a hard right in Peter's tone. And we're going to see something, something that's very different from First Peter. We're going to see a tone that, that really seems to be pretty aggressive. His language is, is pretty harsh here, and, and, and really it's almost one of these like, wow, really, Peter, is that necessary? I mean, really, when you get to the heart of, of chapter 2, you, your eyes kind of open up like, wow, that was... That was a strong, strong word. But, but what I'm here to say is that word is it's really the same tender heart that says, I love you guys and I want what's best for you. Because what's worse than, than not saying something is being indifferent, right? Because I know that some of us will hear a word like today and we'll say, I mean, that seems a little bit harsh. That seems a little bit strict. That seems a little closed-minded. Right, but then on the other hand, what's, what's far worse than, than a strong rebuke is indifference, yeah? Right, just ask someone who, ha, who has a father who didn't care. Right, just talk to a teenager, talk to a college kid who has a parent who doesn't care at all. That's far worse than a father who occasionally has to give a strong rebuke because they love their child. Right, so, so we get that voice today. We get that father who cares. We get the strong rebuke. We get the, you better pay attention because this is for your good. So it's the same Peter, same, same loving tone. He's taking his message from First Peter very seriously of being a, a right-minded, joyful, right-thinking theologian. And he's applying it to what it looks like in the church today. So, so we have to pay attention. 
Also, just kind of on a side note, you've you got to put yourself in Peter's shoes. Right? He's writing this. Do we remember where he's writing this from? He, he's in prison. Right? He knows he's about to die. We learned that a couple of chapters ago. And, and this is it. This is literally his last letter. And he's got to make a huge impression here because these are literally his last words that he's saying to these people that he really, really cares about. So he's got to say something pretty shocking for them to remember, yeah? Yeah, I mean, this is it. This is his last will and testimony, if you will. They need to remember. And I'm thinking, man, what, what can I say that, that people would really, really remember? And I, I remember one conversation I had with, with a good friend of mine. Um, he's my parents' age, and, and I was young. I was probably junior high, and he's a pastor. We're at dinner at his house, and he says, I really want to shock my church tomorrow morning, and I want them to remember, really, really remember what we're going to teach about. And it worked, because I remember, this is what he said. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to stand on the on the platform, I'm going to hold the podium and I'm going to say this day 18,000 children died of starvation. And you don't give a and what's crazy is you care more about the fact that I said than 18,000 people died yesterday. We remember that. We remember these crazy things that we do and this is, this is kind of this Peter saying Remember this. This is a really, really big deal. And, and you're going to kind of get what I'm saying when we go through this. And, and, God's, and Peter says things like, and angels were cast into hell. That's kind of like, whoa, really? Really? So, so he has a big, bold word for us today. So what's the point? Why the aggression? How does he get to where he is today? We've got to kind of remember where we've been in First Peter. So, so he starts out in 1 through 4, three big ideas, right? Justification, regeneration, sanctification. You've got to get that. I, I said that the first week. We absolutely have to get those three words. And, and if you're the type of person who, who at the end of the sermon really wishes there was more, I, I'm going to challenge you, think of those three words and think about what we're talking about at the end of the sermon, how, how there's a drift here, and make the correlation. Like, I don't have time to make that connection now, but there's a huge connection in, in our culture's draw to false gospels in, in really um, distorting those three terms. So we start with justification. What is it? It's the idea that we are now made right. right? So in God's eyes, as, as sinners, as fallen human beings, we all make mistakes, we all do things wrong, and, and we need punishment. And God says, okay, I'm, I've sent Christ, you're now made right, because He took for you what you could not do, namely His death on the cross and His resurrection, so you have now been made right. And part of that is, is God giving us a new nature. Right? We talked about how Peter went from Simon to Peter, new name, completely new nature, new person. So we're, we're made new. And then, then we talked about kind of the, this, this journey right, called sanctification, how even though we're saved immediately, our, our lives don't, don't instantly become perfect. Right? It's kind of this long process of, of trial and error. We're following, we're failing, we're following, we're failing, all leading towards the leading towards Christ and it will be completed one day when we get to heaven but really life is kind of this long long struggle now then in 5 through 11 Peter tells us your life will look very different when you understand the cross 
Right? So when we look out, we should see that something looks very different in our lives. Right? We should be people who have a lot of brotherly love, who have a lot of affection, who have a lot of virtue and knowledge. And he says if your life doesn't look that way, then, then you're really showing that you don't understand the message of who you are in Christ. He says you don't understand that if your life doesn't look a certain way. And the reason he, he says that, he says we're prone to forget. Right? We are prone to forget. And he gives this whole section on here how you already know what you're supposed to do. We just forget. Right? We, we just forget. And we constantly need reminding. Right? So every once in a while, someone will get up here and he'll say, you know, obedience leads to joy. Come here. Greener pastures, fresher water. And the next week, man, we will respond like crazy. This place will look totally different. But then two weeks later, it looks the same as it did two weeks ago. Right? So, so we need reminding. We constantly need reminding. And Peter's saying, yes, I need to remind you. And then he's, he builds. He builds and he builds. In 16, we start to really see the start of his rebuke here. He says, you know this, but you need reminding. So in 16, he says, um, go ahead, open your Bibles. Chapter 2, verse 16. Get some water. And he says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of God or the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty he's saying we we didn't make this up I was there God spoke to me I was on the mountain I heard the voice saying this is my son I'm very pleased in him follow him he says I was there He continues on in 20. He says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 21. For no prophecy was ever ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They're saying "This this is God's gospel. These are His words. These aren't words that just mere men wrote. God spoke through men. They wrote them down. This is His idea. He's doing this. And then we get to kind of the big idea in 2.1. So chapter 2, verse 1, he says, but, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So what's he saying here? He's saying, from within the church, in 2.1, he says, from within the church, there is going to arise among you, among the people who are in the church, False teaching and false teaching and false preaching, and they're going to want to draw you away from the real truth. He continues and he says, I'm going to I'm going to summarize some of the things he says. He says, this is how the Lord feels about those who are drawing people away. This is a very strong word. This is a very, very strong section. He says, look at how God has responded historically to those who have perverted the gospel. What does he say? He says, he cast angels into hell who rebelled against him. They're waiting for his judgment. He obliterated the entire human race, sans Noah and his family. He torched cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God knows how to rescue the righteous and keep them 
but he keeps those for judgment who rebel and who disregard his law of purity. So, so instantly we have a very strong word of how God typically handles those who rebel against him. Right? He calls this in verse 11, he, he talks about these people. He starts in 11, he says, They are bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious one, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. 13. Suffering wrong as they wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revile in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reviling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right, right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the sons of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. We continue, verse 17. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in air. 19, key verse. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Now there's a lot. Right, I gotta just, I gotta breathe. I mean, you, you read something like that, and then that—that's heavy. That is a very heavy, aggressive tone. Right, I, I toned it down, but and that is a strong, strong passage. Probably one of the most aggressive passages I can think of on false teaching, really in the entire Bible. Right, and just to show show you my cards, the reason I love this passage has nothing to do with his aggressive, sharp tone. Like that's that's really not why I love this passage. But what I love about this passage is it has everything to do with the fact that we need to get the gospel right. We 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 can't just decide what we want to do and follow that. We have to get the true gospel right. We got to get the gospel true to its form. So we got to ask, well, what's the true gospel then? And that's a tricky question, right? Because there's, there's lots, of, lots of different parts and components to the gospel. There's different things that some of us love to cling to, and, and we, we kind of herald different parts of the gospel. But there's a, there's a lot of different things that, that we're influenced by, whether it's our experience, whether it's, it's the books we read, whether it's the people we hang out with. But we, we follow different parts of the gospel. But we've got to understand what it is in its whole so, so at its core, what is the gospel? The gospel is this. It is the announcement, the announcement, the very specific announcement that Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, is what? Is bringing us justification to the Father. So he is the answer to our question of, I'm separated from God. I need, I need to get back to him. Jesus is the good news. So, so that is the gospel, the specific announcement of what God has done through Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. Right? But there's more to it than that, because, because it fits into a story. There's context to who Jesus is. So if you were to ask, well, well what's the gospel, and you were to respond and say it's Jesus, well, well, that's true, but it's only partially true because Jesus fits into something. He fits into a story. 
Right, a story that gives us answers to questions of, of who we are and, and why there is something rather than nothing and, and questions of existence. Right, we talked about story a couple weeks ago and, and really how God works through story and the gospel fits into this story. This story that says God did this, He created all of this, we broke it, He's got a plan to fix it and enter Jesus, that's how He's going to fix it. Right, so, so when we look at the Gospels, when we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when we look at the, the first four books in the New Testament, all of them put Jesus into context. Right, so, so Matthew starts out with genealogy, starts with Jesus, moves all the way back to Abraham and says, this is where Jesus fits. He fits into the bigger story. Right, Mark starts with quoting from Isaiah, saying, hey, here's the promised Messiah. Luke starts and an angel comes to Mary and he announces to her that the Messiah is going to be born to her. And she rejoices in song and she says, God, you remembered us out of mercy. You've remembered your servant Israel. And John starts out and says what? In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. So, so there's context in each of the Gospels to who Jesus is. We don't just, it's not just blown on the scene as just some random guy. It's, he fits right in. He fits into the whole story. But it doesn't end there either. There's, there's more to the gospel because the gospel is our response, right? Our response in repentance and in faith. It can't just be a story. It can't just be an event. It's also our response. See, when we've accepted who Christ is, our life looks very, very different as a result of knowing who we are in Christ. So, so I... So just to make this clear, because we've we got to get this clear, I'm, I'm going to give a, an example here. So I'm, I'm not a big expert on gangs. I mean, I, I spent the first seven years of my life in Stockton, California, which is pretty big gang capital, but I, I don't know too many gangsters. I know a few, but, but what generally happens when you want to join a gang? Right? You, you look through the phone book and you find, well, I want to join. No, you don't do that. You, 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 you go through some initiation process, right? So whether, whether you're capping someone or whether you're getting jumped in, whatever you do, you, you're in. And then there, there's a radical kind of life transformation, right? You, you trade in your Toyota Corolla and you get some Cadillac Coupe de Ville. You trade in your small pants and you get much bigger pants and you, and you start teardropping tattoos down your face and, and even your voice changes, Right? And, and I can say this because I had a really, really good friend growing up. Right? One of my best friends. And, and we kind of drifted apart for a while. And after a couple of years, he got a hold of me. He calls me up. He's like, what's up, how your boy, yo? I'm like, ex- ex- excuse me? He- hello? Like, yo, how you doing, bro? Um, I-, I cannot understand what you're saying. Could, could you enunciate um, syllabification? I mean, the, the whole thing changes. And we talked for probably 20 minutes. I had no idea what he said. I mean, literally, so, so everything changes. Your whole culture, your friends, your language, everything changes. Right? But what doesn't happen? What doesn't happen is you go through some initiation and then life just goes on as normal. Right? You don't go through this whole process and then, well, I, I don't really see any of these people. And No, once you're in, you're in. And that's very true with Christ. Once you've accepted the gospel, your life has to look different. If it doesn't, you weren't jumped in. You, you, you didn't get it if your life doesn't look radically different. So what is the gospel? Yes, it is an announcement. It's an announcement that Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the gospel. But yes, it's also a plan. It's also a story. It's also a history. And yes, it is also a response. 
It's also something that we do in response to who we know we are in Christ. And so what we want to do today, where I want to put a lot of my effort and energy, is into how we distort really those three things. Really those three things of what the gospel is. And we're going to do this by looking at six different people in our church. Right? And don't freak out. These aren't actual real people. I've made these people up. But you might know some of them. You might know who some of these people are. And unfortunately, you might be able to identify yourself with some of these people. I can identify myself with parts of many of these people. So we're going to meet six different people who really distort all three of those views of the gospel. And, and, and we're doing really within the church today. We're not doing false teaching outside of the church because I, mean, I just don't have time for that. I mean, we could be here all year, but we're doing what I believe are really the six major assaults on the gospel from within our church and culture. So the first person we're, meet, we're going to meet, his name's Personal Pete. Personal Pete. Oh, Personal Pete. He usually, he usually comes to church on time. That's kind of shocking. Yeah, he, he's here. He usually sits kind of in the back middle, kind of same place every week. He brings his Bible. He's ready to, no, you know, he, he's got a smartphone. He doesn't have a Bible. He, he's, he's more concealed than that. He's got the smartphone. He's got the app. He's got you Bible. And he's flipping through there and he's, he's following along. And he's, he's a pretty regular guy. He's a pretty regular guy. Personal Pete, he'll hang out for a little while afterwards in, in the lobby, but, but he'll talk to Personal Paul and Personal Patrick, and then he'll kind of sneak out before anyone else really notices that he's here. And, and he, just, he doesn't want people to try to ask him to do something or get involved. And he's just he's, he's pretty personal. He's, he's Personal Pete. Right? And, and, and Personal Pete, you know, he, he doesn't really see the need to, to share his faith with anyone because you know, it's more of a personal thing. It's a personal conviction. You know, he's, he's not the chair of Jesus' second coming party. You know, he's not announcing to the world that his boss is a Jewish carpenter. He doesn't clearly, dis- um, on the back of his van, show that he has seven people disguised in, you know, a school of fish. That's just not who he is. He, he's personal. This is personal Pete. He, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really feel the need to share his life or his faith with anyone because it's, it's his. You know, he says things like, well... You know, it's, it's not really any of my business. It's, it's their life. I'm going to let them do what they need to do. I'm going to live my life, and they're going to live theirs, and that's okay. The problem with that, the assault of the gospel, is that, that the gospel is actually a historical event. Right? Jesus Christ actually came. And, and He's actually saying that there was something wrong with us. It's not just a personal issue. This is a, a human issue. We all have major issues here that we need resolving, and you can't do that on your own. You need the message of Christ. Not only that, but we were not intended to live compartmentalized lives. Right? So in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, he says this, he says, So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of the Lord. Right? So what he doesn't say is, is, he doesn't say, well, when you gather on Sunday morning, right, and you sing that one song, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, then herald that with a loud voice. Right? And, and, when, and when that preacher preaches, pay attention and listen strong and praise God then. No, he says, whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking, right? whether you're eating a hot dog and a pop, praise the Lord for who He is. So in all things, right? we have the Great Commission. Andy, Andy said this morning, um, the vision of our church. One family, one um, passion, all people. Right? That all people is the Great Commission. Right? Therefore, go make disciples. 
we're, we're good at going, I think, occasionally. Right? And when we go, man, we, we are bold evangelists. Right? Praise the Lord in Africa. Praise the Lord in Mexico. Praise the Lord in Salt Lake City. But don't ask me to talk to my neighbor. Right? But, but, but that, that idea of therefore go can also be thought of as as you go. Right? As you go. As you live your life. As you are doing what you do day in, day out. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Celebrate. Whether you're eating a, eating a piece of pizza, whether you're drinking a glass of water, praise God, He is good. When I, when I first came here, Andy was kind of describing me really all the, all the nuances of the church. And he was, we went through the director and he was telling me what was wrong with each person here. No, I'm, he, I'm joking, I'm joking. But, but he was telling me how, how interaction groups and how, how groups in general, he says, there's, there's one thing that you're really going to notice, and this is a tendency for all groups in all churches everywhere. He says there's going to be a tendency, and, and he almost called it like a force, of wanting to be ingrown. He says everything's going to want to pull towards us. And that is so true. Don't we have that in our hearts? Like, oh, this is about me. This is about my friends, my comfort, us. And we forget the fact that we were saved by Christ on mission. We forget that. So that's personal Pete. Then there's feel-good Amy. Ah, feel-good Amy. She she grew up in somewhat of a Christian home. Um, Her family brought her to church um, pretty regularly, but she she really only hung out in the youth group, never really stepped foot in in the big church. And and she she liked the youth group. It was fun. But then then once high school was over, she had to go to college, and, and there wasn't really many college youth groups anymore, so she had to go to big church and... You know, she didn't really feel comfortable there because she'd never really done it in her whole life. So she kind of just went by the wayside and didn't really go to church anymore and, and really just kind of entered regular college life, just enjoying the parties, enjoying the people, enjoying life, and, and kind of just really disregarded any sort of spiritual life, any sort of relationship with the Lord, and just kind of lived her life as she wanted to live. And she had some of the, the memories from youth group. And okay, this is good, but, but life goes on. And she, she got out of college and and she got a job, and eventually she gets married, and, and life is still, there's still always something kind of missing. There's always something in the back of her mind saying, oh man, my life isn't quite fulfilled, I need, I need more, you know, my life's always, I'm always searching for something more, there's got to be something better to this. And then one day her neighbor invites her to church. She goes to church and, and she hears just this amazing message, this preacher just, just boldly preaching. And he, he would say things like, is your life hard right now? Right? Are, are, are you experiencing troubles? Is, is sin the obstacle that's keeping you from finding happiness? Is sin getting in the way of becoming all you can be? Follow Jesus and He will fill up that hole in your heart and He will make your life so much better. Well, that sounds pretty good. I, I do feel like I have a hole in my heart. I, 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 my life needs to get better. My husband and I keep fighting. I, I keep having difficulties at work. This is, this is great. Maybe, maybe the sin in my life is keeping me from becoming all who I need to be. Right? So, so she, she comes and she becomes a, a regular member here. And this, is, this is a good time. But, but then life continues. Right? And, and things are going well. She gets, a, she gets a raise and her husband gets a raise and they get a beautiful house and they have beautiful kids. But then, but then after a while, something happens and her husband gets really sick. 
Right? And he loses his job, and, and pretty soon their house is underwater, and pretty soon they're facing foreclosure, and all of a sudden she, she, she has to look to the Lord and say, but why, Lord? Right? Why, why? You said you'd fill me up. You said you'd make my life good. I'm, I'm doing what you asked me to do. I, I'm giving regularly. I'm attending church. I, I'm even in a community group. Why would you make this happen to me? I thought that if I came to you, you were going to fill my life up. You were going to make me happy again. You were going to bless me. And she goes through this period of doubt where she really distrusts the existence of God because she thought that, man, if she came to the Lord, He was just going to make her feel good all the time. And she was really, really confused. See, the problem with Amy is that it was all about her. It was all about her feelings, about her feeling good about the Lord. All about her life looking right. All about getting back, okay, well, I can have a good relationship with my husband again. I don't have to fight anymore. I I can do all these things well now. And she forgot the fact that the gospel was not about her feeling good. It was about what Christ had done for her on the cross. Not that he will get you around life, but that he will get us through life. Then there's I Decide Joe. Oh, I love this guy. I Decide Joe, middle-aged father of two, lives in the Pacific Northwest. PN-dub, as my friend Randall likes to call it. He, Joe likes to ride his bike everywhere. I Decide Joe, he's just, I mean, he is a bike-riding machine. If he can't ride his bike, he'll take his, his zero-emission neon leaf, and he takes a lot of pride in that. I mean, even his license plate says zero on the back. And, you know, I don't have a physics degree, but, but somewhere that... Isn't coal part of that and emissions? I don't know. That's, that's neither here nor there. But, but he takes a lot of pride in, in who he is as a person. Right? This is I Decide Joe. I mean, he shakes his fist at Suburbans driving by. You're murdering the planet. Like, despite the fact that his old car was a, you know, old jalopy, whatever it is. I mean, he just, he does what he does. I, I Decide Joe. He wasn't raised in the church. He was raised in a family that really celebrates individualism and independent thinking. And through the course of his life, he, he kind of reasons with himself and he looks around and he says, wow, it's this creation, this is beautiful. This is amazing. There must be some sort of creator behind all this because there's no way that this could possibly be an accident. I mean, this is just too good. So, so he decides, okay, there has to be some sort of theistic creator. And he finds a church, and this church celebrates God as creator. And he likes it. He says, man, this is, this is wonderful, right? This church says that people are bad. Yeah, they are. They're killing the planet. And this church says that God is good, and, and this, is, this is great. Right? And, and being one who celebrates the mind, he, he really tries to be in tune with current events. And he's constantly reading about culture, about politics, and he finds himself just reading often. And this last month, he came across these two articles. We're going to pop them up here. Um, he's a reader. We, we see here from Newsweek um, the title, Forget the Church, Follow Jesus. And we see Time Rethinking Heaven. This was last week in Time. This was two weeks ago from Newsweek. And I'll quote you an article that, that Joe loved to read from Newsweek. It says this, it says, The cross itself wasn't the point, nor was the intense physical suffering that he endured. The point was how he conducted himself through it all. Calm, loving, accepting, radically surrendering, even the basic control of his own body, and telling us that this was what it means to truly transcend our world and be with God. I decide Joe likes most of the stories of the Bible. 
I mean, particularly these stories of, of, of Jesus on the Mount, and he, he's preaching Sermon on the Mount, and man, these stories of love and, and forgiveness, he, he likes these. But, but when it comes to other stories, um, you know, I just, it just seems a little bit harsh. You know, I, I think those ideas about, about heaven and hell, they're probably more just stories about how, how I can relate to life on earth right here, right now. Like maybe we're surprised by hope. Right? So, so, so I decide Joe really, really kind of just takes the teachings and he just decides, well, you know, I, I don't like any of that stuff, so I'm just going to make this be about whatever I want it to be. Now, sometimes I want to strangle I decide Joe, not, not really. I mean, I want to give him a hug. I want to give him a hug and, and really just say, did you go to freshman philosophy 101? Because literally this is someone taking that big old softball and just tossing it to you right down the middle of the plate, hoping for a home run. And let me tell you, when this person happens, and this happens all the time, what are, what are they saying? What's the logic here? Right, what's the logic in saying, well, I can decide? The, the logic is this. It seems a bit closed-minded and arrogant that the Bible would say, enter whatever. Heaven's just on earth. Hell isn't real. Whatever it is. That seems a bit closed-minded and arrogant for them to say these types of things. You know, we're more advanced in our culture. Well, well, well who's the closed-minded, arrogant one? Because here you are after thousands of years of church history, after mountains of internal and external evidence that this really is the true words of God, and, and who's the one being closed-minded and arrogant? Like, it blows my mind. That, that's the simplest logic, and, and, and it's so pervasive in our culture. It runs rampant. Then there's Moral Marlene. Oh, Moral Marlene. She's here early, earlier than all of you guys. <laughs> sits front center, sits front center. She's, here. She's got the list out. And she loves listening to sermons because every time she gets a good sermon, she can make a new list. Well, what can I do this week to earn God's favor? Right? I can, I can greet people when they come in. I can serve the different cookies. I, I even help serve communion on communion Sundays. And, and Moral Marlene, man, she just loves working in the church. She does everything. She wants to know everyone, even people who don't want to know her. She's all about the church. She's all about serving. But see, the tragedy for Moral Marlene is, is she grew up in a home where, where she had to earn daddy's approval. Right? Where, where daddy wouldn't show a lot of love and affection unless she did this, 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 and this. And she took that relationship and she transposed it into, well, that must be what my Heavenly Father is like. I must need to follow this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule. And shame on me if I can't do them all or else the Lord won't love me. And she forgets the fact that the gospel is a gift. A gift that God says, I love you because I made you, not because of what you can do for me. I love you because who you are. Then there's Community Carol. Oh, Community Carol. She, she was invited to church about three years ago. Her and her husband, they came and and she was having a hard time. Didn't really connect too well with her husband after 15 years. And she was kind of struggling, not able to make a lot of friends at work and, and, and not really having a, any close relationships outside. And, and her neighbor brought her to church and said, this is a great place to build relationships. Great place. There's tons of friendly people. So, so Community Carol, she walks in the door and she gets greeted and someone actually invites her to lunch. They bring her to lunch and they bring her over to their house and they say, 
Come, be a part of our group. This is wonderful. And Community Carol, oh, she loves this. I mean, this is just fantastic. I have a group. I have a place to belong now. People like me. They, they talk to me. They ask me questions. This is amazing. The only problem is that Community Carol doesn't need Jesus at all. Because she has community. She has her friends. She has her new family now. Right? She rarely comes to church because she just has her family. She has, she has her people. She doesn't need to come listen to the sermon. She can connect with people in the church other places. And when she does come, she doesn't really need to pay attention so long as she has her friends, so long as she has her community because, because the preacher says we need to be known and we need to know so I better be known and I better know and that's what it's all about, right? It's all about community. It's all about being connected. But community, Carol, misses everything. Because when God says we're made to be in relationship, yes and amen, be in relationship with people, but primarily He's talking about one relationship and that's with Him. And what we do is we try to fulfill that need and, and that void of relationship with other people. When God says, no, it's, it's with me that you need relationship. Community Carol missed all of that. And, and when that community fails her, and it will, it's simply a matter of time, her gospel is going to be shattered because her community is no longer going to be there. And lastly, no church Norbit. No church Norbit. He breaks my heart. I have a lot of friends who are no church Norbits. A lot of friends. He grew up in the church. Right? Children's church. Awanas. He had the full badge. He's got the vest. I mean, he's more decorated than a four-star general. Right? Never missed a Sunday. Junior high, high school, college. He was there. Even served a little bit when he became a young adult. Served so much that he had a front row seat to everything that happens when you serve in a church. He saw it all. Saw all the frustration, all the pain, all the mess. He saw everything. And he got frustrated. Aren't we supposed to be a loving, serving family here? So Norbert, after a while, he, he decides, well, I only have two options. One, I'm going to become indifferent, and I'm going to show up whenever I want, whenever it's convenient for me. Or two, I'm going to quit the church. He says things like, I just want church to get back to the way it was in the first century. I just want to give this guy a hug. Say, come here. And the other part of me wants to punch him in the stomach. Do you have any idea what the church was like in the first century? Like, really? Oh, yeah, Acts 2.42, they shared everything. They were just so loving. Yeah, they shared a little too much sometimes, right? Yeah, read, read most of the New Testament. Why do we have all the letters that we have? It's to correct drift. It's because a lot of times we got it wrong as a family and people had to write him and say, no, 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 we're getting it wrong. Come back, come back. It's much, much better than this. Hello, Galatians, Corinthians, 2 Peter. The problem with no church in orbit is that the church has failed him because people have failed him and he forgets to see that people are imperfect. And I'll be the first one to admit that looking around, there's a lot of us who don't look anything like Jesus. We're on the trail to hopefully become like Him. But that takes a while and we know that we will never actually be Him. And there is a lot of frustration in the church. But that's no reason to say, well, we'll forget the church then. 
But what we love to do in our culture is forget the church, follow Jesus. The blaring problem with that is why did Jesus come? He came for His bride. And who is His bride? The church. Right? So, so our culture gets it so backwards when we say, forget the church, follow Jesus. See, see on the outside, no church in orbit just sounds so much holier than now. You know, I just, all those people in there, they're getting it wrong. I'm getting it right. No church in orbit, you're a joke. Right? What, what, why are you saying that? What you're really saying is, they're not meeting my needs. I'm not entertained. I don't like the way they do this. I didn't like the way this guy talked to me. I don't like the way this guy treated me. Instead of saying, man, I know this place is a mess. What can I do to make it better? Shouldn't that be our approach? That should be all of our approach. It's hopping on and saying, okay, I know this place is frustrating. What can I do to make it better? All of us fit in somewhere. We all do. My question for you is, who are you? Who are you? We all have tendencies towards one of these people. Are you feel good, Amy? Right? Is this about you? Is this about plugging that hole, filling that void, making your life feel like there's purpose? Are you I decide Joe? You've drinking the cup of John Lennon's imagined culture, and now you decide. Now you are the one who gets to decide. Are you moral Marlene? Are you the one who, who, who has to do everything right so you, so you can earn God's favor? Are you personal Pete? Last week, my wife and I were, were on a walk, and we're walking. I got the baby with me, and this guy pulls up on this bicycle. He says, where'd you get that hat? I had a green San Diego hat. I don't really like the hat. And I said, I got it in, in South Korea. And he said, well, I've been looking for one of those. I, I can't find it in that color. I said, well, here, you can have mine. And he says, well, thanks. And then he, he takes off his bike, and some, the Holy Spirit in me says, you really should invite that guy to church. You, I mean, you, there's got to be more. But he's already gone, and I wussed out. He turns back around, and he invites me to church. I'm like, oh, come on. Like, he's like, we're starting this new church plant in town. You should go. And I'm like, oh, I already got a lot of people coming. No wonder I don't invite anyone. This is terrible. I'm like, man. That was a con- convicting moment. Oh, Lord, that personal Pete in me. Come on. Are you community, Carol? Is this all about the community? Is this all about the family? Is this why you're here? Are you here just for people? They're going to fail you. You need one relationship, namely with Christ. And are you no church in orbit? Are you to the point where you're just frustrated and things aren't going the way they're supposed to go? And instead of hopping in and saying, okay, let's, let's work this out, you're just criticizing, not doing much of any good. We all are prone to wander. We're all prone. We're all prone to, to get away from the true gospel. That's why in 19, we're going to end on this verse. It says, They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. Every one of those people are promised freedom in something. Right? You're promised freedom in saying, I like it when it looks like this. I like it when people treat me like this. I like it when I can do this. That looks promising. It looks like you're getting freedom. But what you're getting is slaves to corruption. And we all prone to wander. All of us. Every single one of us. So who are you? Let's pray. God, we are prone to wander. We're prone to to be like all these people. There's so many false gospels out there. 
that arise within our church. Lord, they start well, most of them. They start with good intentions. Some of them, most of them even start with biblical truth. Lord, you are loving. You are compassionate. You do want what's best for us. Lord, but in our limited ability to understand all that, we distort that so often. Lord, I pray that if, if we have false tendencies, Lord, if, if we celebrate the gospel wrongly, I pray this morning that you would bring us back, that you'd bring us closer to what you'd have for us. Lord, we love you. In your name, amen.